I want to say a, a, a few things before I preach today, and um, I want to speak about something quite uh, controversial. It's the question of vaccinations. Um, and there's a couple of aspects of this that uh, I want to deal with. And um, just bear in mind, I'm not trying to tell you what to do or coerce you into a particular point of view. I just want to make uh, a few observations here. Uh, the first one is that the two vaccines on offer to Australians, as we all know, are the AstraZeneca and Pfizer COVID-19 vaccines, and they're available depending on your age group and all that sort of thing. Um, and there is a, an ethical question, I believe, that every Christian must answer for themselves, and it's uh, around the development of vaccines. So firstly, I want to make the point that there are no human fetal cells in any of the COVID vaccines. However, uh, it's not quite as clear-cut as that when we consider the following, that fetal cell lines were used in their development. Now, fetal cell lines are cells that have been grown from the original human fetal cells multiplied in a laboratory generation after generation after generation. So the cell lines that are used to test the vaccines that are being um, recommended to us are thousands of generations literally removed from the original fetal cell lines and, sorry, from the original fetal cells. And those original cells are from two elective abortions performed in the 70s and 80s. So there are no cells from those fetuses in your vaccine, but generations after that original extraction of those cells, the information from those cells is used to test the vaccines that are being recommended to us. And this is where the ethical question becomes complicated. Uh, many people would not be aware that when you were vaccinated as a child or when you had your children vaccinated against chickenpox, rubella or hepatitis A, you were vaccinated using a vaccine that was developed from cell lines whose origin thousands of generations of cells ago were two human fetuses aborted in the 60s. For instance, the pol and also the polio vaccine to, uh, this is a different, so that, that's one picture of it. I'll give you another one. The polio vaccine, to which my wife owes the fact that she is not crippled, was developed from cancer cells taken from a woman named Henrietta Lacks without her knowledge or consent. And those cells were also used in developing treatments for cancer, treatments in immunology and infectious disease, including COVID-19. I'm sure you're starting to appreciate the nature of the ethical questions that we must ask. So for many of us, this raises some ethical questions. And let me give you a similar scenario, but from a slightly different perspective. Research into hypothermia, hypoxia, dehydration, and other areas was conducted in Nazi concentration camps. So that raises the question for me, would it be wrong for me to treat someone with hypothermia 
using a technique developed 75 or 80 years ago by Nazis who tortured and killed people to develop their methods. Do I leave the person, if I come across somebody in the car park outside our church in the middle of, of the night and they're dying from hypothermia, what's my position? Should I rescue them or should I let them die? Do you see how impossible some of these questions can become? It kind of boils down to this. What's more important, the life of the person whose life you can save or the life of the person who died so that you can save the one in front of you? I can't answer these questions for you. I've answered them for myself. What is also, and I will share the conclusion that I came to regarding vaccination with you in a minute. What also poses a difficulty is the speed with which these vaccines have been developed. Most vaccines take decades to develop, not 12 months. We do not yet know what the impact might be on the unborn or on pregnant mothers or across a range of other scenarios. We don't have enough information. So the choice whether to get vaccinated or not is not clear cut. It's complicated by age factors. It's complicated by whether you want to have children or not. The further complication is that, and here I want to address people who say that getting vaccinated is the mark of the beast. This is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard in my life. So, for instance, uh, let me pose this question to those who would say uh, getting vaccinated is the mark of the beast. Someone close to me with a severely compromised immune system was told by her treating specialist, who had no agenda except her health and well-being, because of her severely compromised immune system, her treating specialist said to her, Listen, I want you to be very clear about this. If you do not get vaccinated and you contract COVID-19, you will die. That's how compromised your immune system is. So that, for that person and for many, many people, this was literally a life and death choice. And it's a difficult one. I have received my first AstraZeneca vaccination and I made that decision for myself because of a couple of factors. Firstly, I believe that it makes others around me safer. Uh, it will also allow me to minister again in other countries where you're not going to be allowed to go unless you've been vaccinated. And my purpose in ministering overseas is to lead people either into relationship with Jesus Christ for the first time or deeper into their existing relationship that is the call upon my life, and I'm prepared to lay down whatever it takes for that call. And so I can boil it down to this. For my, for my decision, this is a decision that I made on this basis, I can help more people vaccinated than I can unvaccinated. I'm not telling you what to do except this, and in this I am telling you what to do. Come before God Ask him what he wants you to do and then move forward by faith. 
Do not make your decision based on fear. For the Christian, fear is sin. Your decision, I'll say something else because I can see a whole bunch of propaganda being released at the moment. I will say this also, your decision to get vaccinated or not is yours and yours alone. And nobody should be entitled to criticise that choice or manipulate you to suit their agenda, whatever that agenda might be. Come before God, ask him what he wants you to do and then move forward by faith. I'm sure I'm going to get some uh, incoming over this, but I'm just sharing with you from my heart what the fruit of my relationship with the Lord is producing in terms of decisions for me and some of the questions I've had to address. The other point that I want to make before I get into preaching the word this morning, because I want to separate this out a bit, because this is, it points toward my word because I'm asking people to respond by faith, but I've been going back through my prophetic journals from the last 12 months or so. And early in the pandemic last year, I preached a word that included a prophecy that God was looking for a response from nations to this pandemic. And that the response he was and is looking for is repentance. And so far, I have not heard of a nation that has humbled themselves as a nation before God. I want to tell you, the nation that humbles itself before God in this pandemic is going to be blessed. So uh, having shared that with you, I want to get into the word that the Lord's given me to share. And he gave it to me in a rather extraordinary way. I'm just going to pray and uh, get into this. Lord, I just want to thank you, Father God, for your anointing upon the word today. I thank you, Father God, for a prophetic impartation attached to what goes forth. I thank you, Father God, it doesn't return to you void, that it accomplishes every purpose for which you send it. I thank you, Father God, that people are going to be encouraged and challenged in their faith today and that we're all going to go from one level of glory to the next in you. You know, the world is facing crises like never before. It's not just COVID. You see things going on um, in climate all around the world, people drowning in trains in China, incredible bushfires uh, through thousands and thousands of hectares in Oregon. There's all sorts of things going on across the face of the earth and we are all being confronted with choices that we never dreamed we would ever have to make. But over and over I've heard the Lord say, make your choices based on faith, not fear. Make your choices based on trust and not unbelief. I went home from uh, our Friday night service live stream that we did here on Friday night. I went home on Friday night and uh, I didn't have a word for today yet. It didn't worry me one bit because I knew that if I'm called to preach on Sunday morning, God will give me what I need. So I went to sleep on Friday night and I dreamt. And uh, this has never happened to me before. I dreamt hearing a passage of scripture over and over again. And in particular, this phrase, it did not profit them not being mixed with faith. I woke up 
with it going over. It's like somebody recorded it and kept hitting the play button. It did not profit them not being mixed with faith. And so I knew roughly where in the word of God that was. So I went to look it up and God began to unpack some stuff to me about faith and fear and rest and these sorts of concepts. And I want to share those with you today. And there is an impartation attached to this message that will bring you into peace and faith and rest. And whatever of fear that is being influencing your decision-making process is being broken as you receive this word. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 2, the writer of Hebrews gives us this. Therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, this is the fear of the Lord we're talking about, lest any of you seem to have come short of it, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Now, this will become clear to you as I preach, but the them that's being talked about is the nation of Israel as they... Um, encountered their promise to move into the promised land. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. The word which they heard, the good news about their promised land, did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. And so this message is to do with faith and unbelief and rest. And so as I looked at this scripture, I thought, okay, I need to back up a little bit earlier into Hebrews 3 and uh, unpack this a little bit more for you. In Hebrews chapter 3, starting at verse 14, the Word of God says that we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now, with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. That's an amazing uh, series of truths. And what it boils down to is this, that having come through their wilderness experience, the people of Israel, that generation that walked through from Egypt to the border of the promised land, missed their opportunity. They came to the border of Canaan. They sent out spies and discovered that their promised land was inhabited by giants. And worse still, those whose job it was to spy out the land came back and said, this is impossible. Yes, the promises of God are true. There's huge clusters of grapes that they carried back with them and examples of the produce of the land and how rich and fertile and everything that God had promised them, a land flowing with milk and honey, that was all true. But they came back and they said, we can't do it. It's impossible. There are giants there. And in Numbers 13, 33, it says something very interesting about that. There we saw the giants. This is the report of the spies. The descendants of Anak came from the giants, the Anakim we're talking about, and you'll see that referred to in a little while. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. 
In other words, their view of themselves determined how the giants in the land perceived them. Something happened that allowed those who they saw to perceive them as less than what God had said they were. Because they viewed themselves as uh, grasshoppers in their own sight, it diminished them in the sight of their enemies. So they refused to go up. They moved from a position of faith to fear. They allowed fear to harden their hearts and from there they fell into rebellion. You know what this is a little bit like? Have you ever been, have you ever gone for, there's a lot of people going for a lot of walks at the moment because it's pretty much all that you're allowed to do. Have you ever gone for a walk and been confronted by a dog? Maybe a stray dog and maybe that dog is a pit bull or something that's got a reputation for being quite aggressive. Can I tell you that when you come face to face with that animal, if you are in fear, that animal will pick it up and they are a lot more likely to have a go at you than if you are fearless and walking in authority. Uh, there's somebody I know who uh, underwent training as a police officer and I'll tell you what, when that person gets near an animal and tells that animal what to do, that animal obeys because that person understands the authority that they've been given and we need to be the same. Church, it's time for us to no longer see ourselves as grasshoppers in our own eyes because we are actually greater than the giants we face. That's what the Word of God says. So they refused to go up. They moved from faith to fear. They allowed fear to harden their hearts. And from there, they fell into rebellion. They refused to believe God that he had already made a way for them. I said this on Friday night. God has already made a way for you. I want to see uh, something else from this passage. In verse 18 of Hebrews 3, as it goes on, it says, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest but to those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And I see this concept of God's rest. And I've been learning something about God's rest. You can be busy and be at rest simultaneously. God's concept of rest doesn't mean you do nothing. Resting in God is a position of complete faith and trust. Resting in God means that what you do, you do from a position of faith, of trust and of belief. See, I read about what God had prepared for them and I see so much of the same attitude that said, we can't have this. I see a lot of that attitude in the church today. In Deuteronomy 6, 10, uh, 11 and 12, Moses spoke to the children of Israel and he said that this is what had been prepared for them. Large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. These are the, the riches that were promised to the nation of Israel if only they would choose to believe the promises of God and set aside fear. And you can see God's idea of rest 
at the first city that they were called to conquer, Jericho. Because they didn't just sit there and do nothing, but what they did, God taught them to do from a position of rest. This place was fortified with impregnable walls. And Joshua was asked to lead the people in a silent march around the city for seven days. And then on the seventh day, the shofars blasted out. The people raised a shout of praise and the walls came down. That's what happens when you come to a place of trust and rest where the leader is saying to you, all you've got to do is walk around this thing. Just be obedient to what God's called you to do. Stop thinking about your battle strategy and how you're going to do this and how you're going to do that. Just do the simple thing that God is asking us to do and watch him come. As long as the people demonstrated their faith by their obedience, every obstacle was removed supernaturally. The Bible is full of examples of this. People like Jehoshaphat, who had all these nations coming against him. And he says, I know what we're going to do. We're going to send a worship team out. <laughs> and a worship team goes out into the valley. And in response to that act of obedience, God sowed confusion in the heart of all their enemies. All their enemies killed each other. All they had to do was pick up the spoil and bring it home. God fights battles for us. God fought their battles for them and they received what God promised. But it wasn't the generation that walked in fear. It was the generation following. Because when the people of Israel refused to enter into the promise that God had set out for them, God condemned them to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness until they were all dead. That's why corpses in the wilderness was mentioned in Hebrews 3. Faith, trust in what God has spoken to you manifests in obedience. No matter how much work you have to do, no matter how great or what type of obstacle it is that you have to face, if you know you are being obedient by faith to what God has asked you to do, then you are actually at rest. Because it is God who makes the way where there is no way. It is God who fights your battles. It is God who sows confusion in the heart of the enemy. And it's God who gives you victory. It doesn't matter what the odds are. You and God are a majority of one of 10,000 come against you. God honours faith. But when Israel rebelled against what God had prepared for them, their generation missed out, a whole generation. Except, Numbers 14.30, except for Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. Nobody from that generation was allowed to go in except for Joshua and Caleb. For the next 40 years, the people of Israel went back into the wilderness, having seen the goodness of God for all those years coming out of Egypt, but lacking the faith, the belief, and the courage to recognize that God had already given them their land. All they had to do was go in and be obedient to take it. But then a generation arose who had a heart for the promises of God to them, And in examining this story, I was drawn to the story of Caleb. Because so often we hear about Joshua's exploits. And that's only right because he was the leader who was designated to take them into victory. 
But if anyone exemplifies that willingness to step into a promise, I believe it is Caleb. And the word of God singles him out for mention in a particular way. Numbers 14.24, my serv- but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, not the spirit of fear, not the spirit of unbelief, not the spirit of rebellion, the spirit of faith, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. And you're going to see that he was actually, um, when he went in to spy out the land with the other spies and brought back a good report, he was actually sent into the area of Hebron. And he saw what was there and he came back. And when I look at Caleb, I see a man who after 45 years of wilderness and warfare recognised that his specific promise was connected to a specific place because God had promised him, that place you saw in there, I'm going to give it to you. And so in Joshua 14.10, he comes to uh, Joshua, Caleb comes to Joshua, and this is what he says. Now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore... Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me. I think he's being sarcastic because he's already said that God was with him all this time. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. 45 years of wilderness and battle and conquest. And this 85-year-old man sees the mountain that is the inheritance of his children and of his children's children. He's following generations. He sees that the Anakim, the giants, still occupy this area that has been promised to him by God, that they occupy it. And this 85-year-old man says, come on, let's go. Come on, come at me. Can you sense the different spirit in Caleb that the Bible speaks of here? Can you sense the spirit that is our inheritance? This is here for our edification. This story is here for us. It's not for the next generation. It's for us. We are a generation facing giants that people before us have never faced before. Are we going to respond in fear or are we going to respond in faith? Can you sense the different spirit in Caleb? You know, he's, he, him and Joshua were alike. They were the only two. So when you think about that spirit, I want to give you a hint where that spirit comes from because I know where Joshua got it. The Bible tells us that when Moses came in and out of the tabernacle and met with God, Joshua was, Joshua was right there. He was like his understudy or his servant. 
His heart for God was so great that he refused to leave the presence of the Lord. Exodus 33, 11 says, The Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. The tabernacle is where the manifest presence of God was. This man had a desire to be in the presence of God perpetually because he knew that being in the presence of God would equip him with everything that he needed to meet every challenge throughout his life and he refused to depart from it. You may not be able to physically come into this building at the moment. That doesn't mean that that you can't experience the presence of God all day, every day because the kingdom of God is within you, the Bible says. Because Jesus, the King of Kings, lives within you. He has imparted his Holy Spirit to you. And that Holy Spirit is not one of fear. God has not given you a spirit of, 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 of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We need to walk in power. We need to walk in love. And we need a sound mind. We need to be able to tune out the garbage that's being hoisted upon us every single day and walk in the truth of what God says about us, that we have a promise and a destiny before us. It is ours to take and no giant can take it from you if you walk by faith. The specific phrase that I started off with that kept going around in my head as I woke up in the middle of the night, It did not profit them not being mixed with faith. The promises of God did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith. And that sent me on a bit of a journey. Let me just read that scripture to you again that I started with. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, in other words, fear God, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. The promises of God that held true for them hold true for us. We have an inheritance. It might be occupied by giants at the moment, but they got to go. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. We are not to stop short of the rest that God has promised us. The gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Now, we all know the word gospel means good news. God gave them good news about their inheritance, but they missed out. Their good news was a prophetic picture of our good news. Large and beautiful cities which they did not build, houses full of good things which they did not fill, hewn out wells which they did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which they did not plant. But their promise of these things did not profit them, the word says, because it was not mixed with faith in those who heard it. They, the, the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. I want to challenge you about something to do with this. It is faith that pleases God. In fact, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And it's clear from this scripture, it's clear to me, it's clear as day that faith is our responsibility to steward and to grow in. You hear the promise of God and you mix it with the faith that God has given you as a gift. It's like the leaven going into the dough. Unless you put the leaven in, you're not going to get the whole thing. 
You hear the promise and you mix it with the faith that God has given you. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, but with faith, all things are possible. And the Bible says every one of us has been given a measure of faith. Romans 12, 3, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You have been entrusted a measure of faith and you are the steward it. And when you steward it and when you honour God by seeking his presence, that faith grows. And as you come victorious through a battle, you've got to be prepared for the battles because as soon as you come in victory through a battle, he's going to promote you to a bigger one. So you better get with the program. <laughs> it is obedience to God birthed in faith that activates the promise of God that we will be at rest even while the giants still confront us. In a season of sifting, this is crucial for us. We've been talking about sifting a little bit in the last few weeks. I want to remind you of something. Luke 22, 31 to 32, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren." In a season of sifting, I want you to be aware of something, that the same Jesus who prayed for Simon Peter in this scripture is the same Jesus who even now makes intercession for you while seated at the right hand of the Father. Simon, Simon, I prayed for you. (laughs) He's praying for us. But now he's at the right hand of the Father. He's seated there because he has already defeated sin, death and hell on our behalf. And you better believe that when Jesus prays for us, mountains move. What are the mountains that move? Unbelief, disobedience, self-pity, a poverty mindset. These things, these mountains come down and faith rises he prayed that his faith should not fail and it didn't and he led the entire ecclesia for a generation if Jesus prayed for him and that was the result and he's praying for us now what's the result going to be in us Well, we take the faith that he has strengthened us with and we mix it with the promises of God and we come through in victory. You have the faith available to you that you need to take your mountain. Every single person who is listening to this message has a mountain of inheritance allotted to them and you will receive it. Now, let me just shake you up a little bit. If you are in any way complacent about this or fatalistic or you think it's for somebody else and not for you, let me tell you that to not have this attitude that you're going to steward your faith, see it grow and receive your inheritance, if you do not have that attitude to steward and mix your faith with God's promises, it's actually sin. You are sinning if you do not walk in faith. Show me that in the word. Okay. 
Romans 14.23, whatever is not from faith is sin. If you are not walking in faith in this season, you are sinning. Whenever I move from faith to fear, I am sinning. I'm saying this not to condemn you, but to show you the beautiful way that God has made out of that sin. Because sin is very simply dealt with. It's dealt with by repentance. And repentance is what will move you from fear to faith. Now, you might not feel like repenting, You might not even recognize the enormity of the hold that the enemy has taken on you. But I want to tell you that in God's eyes, that hold that he has taken is illegal in the kingdom. There is no fear in heaven and you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And so um, I'm making this invitation right now because I'm going to stop and pray right now about this. If you recognize that you have been walking in any measure of fear or anxiety or panic, bring it before the Lord now as I pray. And I'm going to lead us all in this prayer. And then we're going to rebuke fear and it's going to leave. So Lord Jesus, we come before you now. And we acknowledge, Lord, that we have allowed the influence of fear to sully or to get somehow mixed in with our approach to where we are. Lord, your word says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We confess our sin before you today, Lord. We receive our forgiveness. And we thank you that right now, Lord, there is a deliverance of freedom that is coming to us. That you are cleansing us of all unrighteousness. And I see this picture in my heart even as I'm speaking this, that hooks of the enemy are coming out of your flesh, out of your mind, will and emotions, and that your spirit man is rising in faith and that there is a willingness being birthed in you to steward your faith like never before. I declare over the person, there was a word of knowledge given to me this morning about somebody who is having panic attacks. I rebuke the panic in the name of Jesus. You have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I declare those three things over you that you will walk in the power of God even in the face of the giants before you, that you will love those around you unconditionally. And that you will consider your circumstances and consider your decisions from a sound mind. And a sound mind is, uh, is a mind that is submitted to the Spirit of the Lord. Thank you, Father. You know, this, this passage that I've been talking about, says they did not enter their rest. 
They could not enter in because of unbelief. You can have your position of rest today. You might have to go out and do some stuff this week. (laughs) You might have to be really busy this week. You can be busy and at rest at the same time if you're doing what God asked you to do. You can have your position of rest today. It takes faith. To each of us has been given a measure of faith. Do you need more faith? Do what Joshua did. Get in the presence. Make the presence of the Lord your guiding light. You're all in all. Humble yourself before God. Do it daily. God, what do you have for me today? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? What is it that I should be prophesying and declaring and decreeing over my life and that of my family and my sphere of influence? Humble yourself before God daily. Ask him what he would have you do in that day and then get up and do as Caleb did. Get up and take the mountain that God has set aside for you. You are part of a Joshua and Caleb generation in the spirit. Where others have faltered, you will conquer. Where others have fallen, you will rise in victory. And in fact, if it's you that's fallen, you can still rise in victory because of the grace of God toward you. Where others have failed, you will succeed. This is your hour. This is our hour, ecclesia of the Lord. This is our hour to take the mountains that God has already said belong to us and to our children and to our children's children in the name of Jesus. Worship team, can you come up? I don't know what you guys have prepared, but I'm sure it's going to be good. (laughs) The blessing? Speak to the mountain. Okay, awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. The testimonies that I'm hearing at the moment of God's provision. He has already made a way for you. This is what has been going over and over in my mind all weekend. God has already made a way. He has already made a provision for for your every need. You know, we tend to gloss over some of these promises of God, but listen to this. My God, the Jehovah, the creator of the universe, shall supply all your needs, not a little bit, not a measure, all of your needs, according to what? His riches in glory. Is there any lack in the kingdom of heaven? I tell you, there is not. According to his riches, my God shall supply all your need, according to his riches in glory, by Christ Jesus. Because you belong to Jesus, you qualify for that promise. Your needs have already been met in the heavenly realm and all you need to do is receive by faith. And if you don't feel much faith at the moment, just ask God for a little bit more and make that commitment in your heart to steward what he has entrusted to you better than we ever have in the past so that we can go forward by faith and not by fear. Hallelujah. Thank you, worship team.
can somebody bring Pete up a mask, please? Quick, over there. Well, we just want to thank you, Father God, that in this moment, in this hour of need, we can speak to our mountains. We thank you, Father God, that it's time for the mountains to move and they are moving in response to our faith and our obedience. Our faith is expressed in our obedience and we declare we will obey you, Lord, in Jesus' name.